You're listening to The Long Game Podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Scaiano. As business owners, we've got to sit up and pay attention when Google makes an update. And usually we're talking about this in terms of SEO. But today, the update we're talking about applies to email. Google is set to release its most significant update to email in 20 years. So you know it's major. Yahoo is already on board with doing the same, and the other email service providers will be following suit. So to make you aware of what you need to know and to tell you what you need to do, I've got email marketing strategist, automation engineer, and email deliverability expert, Cheryl Rarick here today. We talk about the massive Google and Yahoo email updates coming on February 1st, 2024. So we start with email authentication, what it is and why it's important. And there are three items that are the crux of the big update happening. So pay attention. We go on to talk about best practices for email deliverability, email automations. Yes, get that welcome sequence set up. And we nerd out on what data to pay attention to when it comes to email. Cheryl brings a calm to email tech and automation. So if this stuff flusters you, she will soothe you into being able to tackle it for yourself. Really, we all need a friend like this in our lives. The long game is email deliverability with Cheryl Rarick. In a world where everyone is doing, it's easy to get lost in a sea of comparison, secret tricks, and promises of overnight success. The long game? That's my approach to business. You got to show up, you got to do the work, and there are no quick fixes for long-term success. It takes creativity, it takes strategy, and it takes listening to the voice inside you. I'm a web designer, digital strategist, and energetic thinker, bringing you real-world business-building experiences, conversations with creators who are out there doing it now, and ideas to spark the energy in your own business. And along the way, we're going to have a little bit of fun as well. So thanks for being here, and let's get to today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Something is coming this year, and it's Google's most significant update to email in 20 years. Yahoo is following suit, and you know the other email service providers are watching and will be doing probably the same thing very soon. So today we are talking about what you need to know to protect your email list in 2024. So to take us through it all is my guest, Cheryl Rarick, an email marketing strategist, automation engineer, and email deliverability expert who brings the magic of automation to coaches and course creators so they can live their lives away from the tyranny of tiny screens. Gosh, that sounds so good, right? (laughs) And she is the creator of Automate and Chill. It's a method that is a long-term conversion system that's going to have you making more passive sales, free up hours each week, and create a life-proof business because we all know that stuff happens. And all of this is through email. So welcome, Cheryl. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we're going to talk today all about email. So both the immediate need that every business owner must give attention to and the long game strategy of automation. You know, I know that 
email deliverability is changing in 2024. So why don't you talk us through some of what's about to happen with the largest email service providers? Yeah. So Google's leading the charge. Yahoo's following suit. Microsoft has already had a lot of these policies. And basically what's going on is that in the last few years, since about 2019, people are emailing more than ever, like way more. And the problem with that is stats show that up to 50% of those emails are spam. So we're inundated. I don't know about you in your inbox, but we're inundated, right? With tons of spam. And that's a problem that they're trying to solve looking into 2024. And so they're going to clean up our inboxes, which is a really good thing. It's actually a positive thing. But as email marketers, we need to be able to still get into the inbox because it's really easy to accidentally look like a spammer, even though we're sending really good emails and we love our people and we want to connect with our mailing list. Sometimes we can mimic the patterns that spammers have without even realizing it. So it's important for us to learn these things so that we can take charge and make sure that we're connecting with our people this year. Yeah. So there are some definite steps that we can take to mitigate some of our email deliverability issues for this change. And then as you're talking, I'm like, oh, there are immediate things that I think of, of like, we have to talk a little bit about email deliverability on a whole, like the subject line and emojis and exclamation points and all those things. So, you know, I know there's a lot going on. And and here's the thing. I mean, I'm a web developer and a course developer. So I work with platforms and, you know, to get email sent. I know I'm comfortable with DNS, right? Like I can go and do that stuff, but my listeners are not, you know, they're coaches, they're service providers, they're course creators. So a lot of people don't understand any of this. Like, how can we start to comb through what they need to do? Because this change is happening on February 1st, correct? Yes. That's when it starts. Okay. Yeah. It's coming quick. Let's start talking about some of the things. I mean, first is most important authentication, right? Like you've got to authenticate your email. So what does that even mean really? Yeah. So one of the changes that they're making is that you now have to, when you show up in inboxes, you have to prove who you are. That's what authentication means. Up until now, when you show up in the inboxes, if you didn't have these authentication measures in place, you were just riding on the coattails of your ESP, your internet service providers, or sorry, not internet, email service provider. So your ConvertKit, your ActiveCampaign, Keep, MailerLite, whoever you're using to send bulk emails, you were using their reputation, right? So they're, they come to the, the inbox provider and they say, hey, I've got an email to Sandra from Cheryl. And... They're like, well, is it really Sandra? And they're like, yeah, we got her. She's good because she's with us, <laughs> right? Right, right. But you can't do that anymore. You got to have your own reputation, your own sender reputation. And it's important for you to manage that to make sure it's a good one online. So authentication is how we do that. It's how we prove who we are in the inbox. And it's some security measures that actually protect your brand. So they're a good thing to do. And they've actually always been best practice. It's just mm-hmm. now they're mandatory. And you're correct. All they are is some lines of DNS. <laughs> some lines of code. Domain of name system. <laughs> but yeah. it's intimidating. I mean, it one is. of the things we are going to link to for everyone listening, Cheryl has a DIY course that walks you through this. So we're definitely going to have that in the show notes for everybody to be able to take action on. Yes. If you're panicking, just please don't. It's not as scary (laughs) as it sounds. I got you. 
I'll try and explain it in some terms that make some sense here. So it's just some lines of code, meaning your job is mostly copying and pasting. Like if you think of that way, you don't need to know all the code. You need to know what code and where it goes. The hardest part in all of this for business owners is just learning why and like what, where their responsibility in it lies. And so there's three pieces that we need going into February for authentication. And the first one is called SPF, Sender Policy Framework. You'll never remember the acronyms. You don't need to. You don't need, to, you need to know. <laughs> no, you don't need to know. All you need to know is that I call it your approved senders list. So it's one line on your DNS that lists all the places that you allow to send email on your behalf, on behalf of your domain. So my domain is like CherylRarick.com, right? Like my website type domain name. And they send email from Cheryl at CherylRarick.com is the domain piece of it. So if you send email from apps that use that, then you need to include them in this list, this one piece of code. So for me, that would be my email service provider. I use Keep. My inbox, I use Google Workspace. I use Amazon SES for some transactional mails in my course platform. I also might use like a video tool like Bonjoro. You might use Stripe or Shopify. If you have it branded, you can choose to brand it or not. So it's different for everyone what needs to be in that list. But you need to think about all the apps you use that send email on behalf of your domain. And you're going to give them the rubber stamp. Say, yep, these guys are improved to send email from my brand. And that's what SBF means, essentially. And this is a really good time for everyone listening too to maybe level up to using your own custom domain for these services so that yeah. you are recognized more. You know, I know some people are hesitant to do that and might still use a Stripe sending domain or a ConvertKit sending domain rather than their own custom domain. So now is really a good time to also connect and go that extra step for mm -hmm. your deliverability, of course, but also your identification and people, you know, that branding piece. Absolutely. And so the second piece that we need to do is called DKIM, D-K-I-M, which is Domain Keys Identified Mail. Again, you don't need to know that. <laughs> I love the explaining this piece. Like in the old days, a rubber, like not rubber, wax seal oh, yeah. on an envelope. Like think about like an episode of Outlander, you know, <laughs> that nice wax seal and it's got your unique emblem on it. And when that mail gets to its destination, people will know if it's been tampered with or not, right? If the seal is broken. So DKIM is like that for your Smart. emails. It protects them on the way to the destination because spammers love to hijack mail to send. Like it's really easy to do if you don't have this set up and they can just hijack. And so people will get mail. They think it's from you, but it's spam. And then what are they going to do? They're going to mark your brand as spam. And then that's terrible for your, your reputation. So this protects us essentially. So you want to think of DKIM like a rubber stamp on your mail and you need to do that for each and every app. So the other one we were talking about, the approved senders list, you just have one, one DNS entry with a list of all the places. But DKIM, you have to have one for every app, sometimes multiple. Some apps have like, I think Stripe has like six DKIM records to add to your DNS, but it's just copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. It's not difficult. You just need to know you need to have that for each app that you're using to send email from. So you need to wax seal your envelopes and make sure that they're safe. And then number three, let's just knock them all out of the park here. So yeah. <laughs> number three. I'm with you. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> you're with me? Yeah. You're following? Okay. <laughs> so the third one, I always have to read it. It's DMARC, 
It stands for Domain-Based Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance. And no, you don't need to, absolutely no one knows that. You don't need to know either. You need to know that DMARC is your contingency plan. It is a policy you put in place for what you want to happen with your emails if any of the other two fail. That's all. Oh, okay. Plan B. So it's, yeah, it's one DNS line for your whole domain. It covers your domain, all your subdomains, all your things, just one. And there's a bunch of code in that. You have a bunch of choices to make about how you want this policy to be. And there's three main options. And everyone listening, if you're new to this, you should choose the one that says none. P equals none. Because that means if the other two fail, do nothing. But note it. Like, mark it down, report on it, but don't do anything. Because until we're 100%, 1000% sure we have the other two fully correct. If you have a like a quarantine or a reject policy on your contingency plan, you're going to be putting your own mail in the blocked section or like spam or just block completely, not even spam, right? So you could be blocking your own self until we get it right. So we're going to just choose a real easy policy for now. The best thing is to set up reporting so that you know and you can monitor these things and see, like you get a weekly report and you'll know, okay, we're good. Everything's fine. So that's your contingency plan. And those three pieces are what we call authentication. And that's what's required going into February. Okay, cool. I mean, you do bring a sense of calm to it. So for anybody who is thinking it's over the top for them, you've really broken it down and made it easy. So Let me ask you though, like, you know, some people have bigger lists and have been like, can we talk about if you're an existing, you know, I've been sending a weekly email, like will changing these things affect people who are consistent and sending an email or does list size have anything to do with this? How can we navigate those? Excellent question. Thank you for bringing that up. It does affect it because If you haven't had this in place before, you can have a list of 50,000 people, excellent sending practices and a clean list hygiene, and you're doing right. You're following all the rules. But if you haven't had this done before, you've been borrowing a reputation. So Google and they don't know you. So as soon as you turn them on, especially that wax seal one, the DKIM, they're looking at your reputation now. So you're showing up with 50,000 emails out of nowhere. They're going to be like, whoa, Sandra. Who are you? What are you doing here? Is this cool? Yeah. So they're going to be a little bit more suspicious because you don't have a reputation with them. So if you have a smaller list, like 5,000 and under even, maybe even 10,000 under, if you're smaller in the eyes of Google, that's not small for entrepreneurs working hard for every subscriber. I just want to qualify that. Like if you have a 200 people on your list, that's good for you. They're hard. It's hard to do. So I'm not calling your list small, but small in the eyes of Google. They let that slide a little more like, oh, she's showing up with 500 emails. This is probably fine. You don't really need to worry about what we call domain warming. But when you have a big list, conservative approach, if you make money with your email, like I do and like you do, we this is important. It might be a good idea after implementing authentication to take a more conservative approach and email smaller batches of your most engaged subscribers mm. for a little while. So like the first email you send afterwards, maybe pull people who engaged on your last email, like last week's email, last seven days, just email them at first and email them something that they're going to want to reply or click to. 
get some engagement going. Because now Google's watching and it's going to be like, oh, people like Sandra's emails. Right. They're all right. All right. This is good. And then you get a good reputation. Next email, widen the net, maybe send to people who engaged with the last, like, within the last 14 days. And then, like, you're building it up over numerous emails over a few weeks. So the larger your list, the more slow you might want to be in batching that. You know, like big companies with hundreds of thousands, they're going to be really batching it, but they'll be doing that several times a day. For most of us creator types, you know, in the online business and entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, it, we're not dealing with that kind of numbers. Then this like seven day, 14 day, 30 day, 60 day kind of a stretch would work. But you know your list best. Just try and get people to engage with you and give <laughs> some positive markers right away because it's your first meeting. With Google and Yahoo. Right, really. right, right. And yeah. it makes me think about the subject line. Like you want to say something like, yeah. hey, you need to open this without being spammy because that's a deterrent from True. getting it yeah. into your inbox. So everyone really think about that and be thoughtful on that in terms of timing and what you're actually writing there. Because I think all of us would be like, you need to open this now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the major point, right? <laughs> that's what you want to write. But... <laughs> So help you. if you sell B2B, like business to business in the same space that we're in, use this as an opportunity to educate them to do this as well and say, I just authenticated. I need you to help me out. Like, just call it out because it, everyone's talking about it. And if they're not talking about it, they should be. So start the conversation to help everyone with their email lists. But like a lot of B2B businesses, you can just call it out and say, I really need you to hit reply and let me know you've got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right? it's awesome. That's an awesome approach because it does is like straight up. We're I love that. I just yeah. authenticated. I need you to open this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> as far as like spam patterns and accidentally looking like a spammer, that is a really deep topic. We could be here all day talking about quote unquote rules about that. They change all the time. Google's watching trends and algorithms with that. My favorite tip, if you want to keep it real simple, is just to write like you're writing to a friend and do that test before you hit send. Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to say to your friend, like, click here by now. Like you just don't say that to like a real human. So just do the human test, the best friend test on your emails. It really helps you go, okay, how can I say this in a more creative way? especially on links and buttons and subject lines, if you want them to click it rather than putting a link on click here, how else could you tease what's on the other side of that link click? People know what hyperlinks look like nowadays too. So you don't always have to say click here for them to realize it's a link, you know? So we can get a little bit more creative, but give it that best friend test. It's really helpful to figure it out. Say it out loud, read your emails out loud. Let me ask you, what about for industries that are a little touchy, weight loss, Mm. finance. I mean, there are financial coaches and one of my clients is a weight loss coach. And we often have to put weight loss in the subject line because it makes sense. And it's what she talks about. And we actually do it in a thoughtful way within a sentence. It's not like you said with the friend, but that's something for people to think about if they're in a area like that, is there more attention going to be on those subject lines now? There always has been. They watch trends a lot because anything that spammers use automatically gets flagged as something to watch. 
So spammers love a weight loss email oh, subject yeah, line, definitely. right? And I mean, the people we know sending emails about that are really good people trying to help people. They're not spammers, but they're talking about something that spammers love to like ride on. And same with finance and anything to do, yeah, health industry, like mm-hmm. so much of that, right? And it's a tricky one. You want to be as creative as you can in the email. And for that, I really love linking to a, a blog or a page with the rest of the content. Mm. So, so shorter that you can email link to a page. Ideally your own page so yeah. that you get the of traffic course. as well. Yeah. So you got to be a little strategic. I do think everything in moderation though, like if you cannot say that in every subject line, sometimes you have to say it. And if you can put context, like you said, in a sentence, don't use all caps, don't use too many exclamation marks around those things. You're going to try and make it. When you're using those words, you don't want to include too many links in your email either. Like just the multiple links to the same place is fine, but you're not going to want to link 10 different articles. So if you want to do a roundup email, it's better to put it on a page and link to the page. Does that make sense? So you can be a little bit more prudent with how you're approaching it, just knowing that those words are watched closer. And you have to be careful because a lot of ESPs, like the email service providers, in their terms of service, don't even allow certain industries. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like, wow. I'm trying to think of an example. I don't want to mess it up publicly. <laughs> but no, like, but example, check yours. But like example, maybe like Active Campaign doesn't allow affiliate marketing or maybe they do or, mm-hmm. you know, ConvertKit doesn't allow this type of marketing or maybe they do. You have to check their terms of service. And that can be really tricky for some people, especially in any MLM businesses or I've seen it with cannabis. Businesses. Cannabis, cannabis is huge. I'm in Canada. It's perfectly legal. Yep. And I mean, he's not in it anymore, but my husband used to work in the cannabis, legal cannabis industry here. Yeah. I can't talk about it <laughs> in an email, right? Right. No, totally. Yeah. Totally. But there are certain apps that will allow it. You just have to pay attention. So if you're in one of those industries, it's just part of the game and it's you just want to be aware. And then just watch your stats, right? Like watch your... Your open rates, your click rates, your bounce rates and spam rates, and make sure that like if you're noticing a drop off on those emails, you might want to change your plan about how you're talking about it. But if it's okay, like a little tiny dip and you're still making sales and it's worth it, then carry on. Yeah. Wow. And it's great to that you've made time to really not only come on here, but in a number of places to get this information out before the February 1st deadline, because I feel like we talked a lot about the Google Analytics change. I talked a lot about that in my SEO episodes and we tracked it along, but not until July 1st, it was ending. I mean, then people started scrambling. So it's always the scramble (laughs) before, but no matter what time you're getting this and noticing it happen, things may have fallen off. It might be afterwards that you hear this, you still can go in and set these things up and write your shit. Yes, absolutely. We don't know how they're going to implement it. They've given us a deadline of February 1st. They haven't said anything else really. So are they going to be, (laughs) are they going to be more lenient on smaller senders? Are they not? Are they going to phase it in over time? Is it going to be like flipping a switch on February 1st? We don't know. And for those of us, I mean, the one thing I know to be true is that if you make money through email marketing, then just don't mess around and get it done. It's not worth risking, like finding out about it. 
But if you're listening to this after and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's okay. You can still do it. It's not a problem. You may have noticed a drop off or you may not have. We don't really know what's going to happen. But if you have, that's the explanation right there and we can get it fixed. And I just want to say in your deliverability unboxed workshop, Series, this is the product where Cheryl will walk you through how to do the authentication. But it's so interesting because it's so much more. Like for me, I really hate email. I mean, I know how to do DNS. I'm all good with that stuff. I help my clients out. But talking about deliverability as a whole and best practices and all of that, like there is so much more to this information that you're providing than just get this done for the changeover. Yeah. So as a deliverability expert, I'm burdened with more knowledge. <laughs> so I have to help everyone have the best I'm case scenario. All of my friends and <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's dry subject matter for most people. So it's interesting to make it understandable, easy to understand. I like to try and think I'm good at keeping it calm and, and like there's no panic in the streets. We can handle it. And so in the workshop series, so I came out out with this when the the notice came out with Google and Yahoo because I know people are going to need help. Some people will go, oh yeah, I got it. I understand DNS and I'm I'm fine. But a lot of people are like, don't know what DNS is or where to find it. Mm-hmm. The first step, totally. like we got to find it. Where is your DNS to start with? Right? right. So that is one of the videos in the workshop series is how to find that thing. But there's more to it to best practices. And then like we're setting up reporting to keep eyes on things. We're evaluating all the places, how to find out what apps you need to authenticate and where you send email from and how to test. And then we're going to be going into the last workshop. We're going to be talking about engagement management going forward and keeping a clean list because now that this is turned on, you're riding on your reputation. We better keep it good. So there's a lot to know going forward and keeping a good reputation that we need to talk about as well. So I've bundled it all up into little pieces. <laughs> right. And we all hear little things and, and those pieces, but to have it all in one place. Yeah. It's great. I think that's really a great resource. So again, we'll link to that in the show notes. And it's so important because we all know we should be emailing. I mean, whether if you're not doing it, you should be. If you are doing it, you need to keep that reputation top notch and looked at highly, highly regarded for yeah. your email rep- sending reputation. Yeah, 100%. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit to another piece that you are an expert at, which is automation, which I love to talk about. And specifically, we're going to talk today about email automation because mm-hmm. it really is the jumping off point. I mean, we're talking right now about being consistent in emailing your list. Well, if you do that, they can click something that can set off a series of events. And it is a a way to grow your business is to automate things. It's also a way to have what we like to call a virtual, a digital VA of sorts, right? It's another person working for your business, making sure things get done every single time. That's what I always appreciate about it. Once you automate something, you can have faith that it's happening. Absolutely. And listen, who has time to do it all in real time anymore? Like it's just, there's too much as a business owner for you to do. Like you need to keep tabs on so many things. And I feel like for a lot of people, email is that recurring task on the calendar that's 
comes with a lot of pressure. It's like, I know I'm supposed to email every week. I didn't get to the email. Now it's four o'clock and I got to like make dinner for the kids. And I didn't write an email for tomorrow morning. So you just like write something or grab a template or just to get something out the door because you know consistency is important and it is. And it's a challenge. And so automation can relieve a lot of that pressure for you because the way I teach automating your emails is that you get to sit down and be strategic and design a beautiful customer journey, right? You get to get Mm -hmm. into your ideal buyer's mind and their emotions and what they're feeling and thinking when they are at that spot on your list, like when they come in or after a funnel or whatever, and figure out what do they need to hear now. And you get to design that and then write the emails. And it's easier to sell that way as well, because you're thinking of it and you're not you're not like, oh, what am I going to email this week? Did I sell yeah, something last week or did I not? Like, yeah. Am I selling too much? Did I sell enough? What am I selling? What am I doing? You know, it's just all these questions. And that is a lot of mental load <laughs> to deal with every week. So by automating a system, you get to make those decisions strategically and intentionally with the buyer in mind. It's much more subscriber centric than trying to get an email out every week is very me centric, like what's going on in my life or what I'm doing or what's happening for me rather than what's happening for them. So that's how we approach automating emails to play the long game. (laughs) It is the email long game, right? Because this can all be happening behind the scenes for you, selling on autopilot. I mean, that's a cheesy thing these days to say, but it's actually true because you have put the strategy and intention behind and then you've done the writing. You're going to have to write the email anyways. Might as well write it in advance. And, and then you can still need email. to know certain yeah. information. I mean, we don't have to be salesy and schmoozy. Like they need no. to know they have questions. They've come to you. They're on your list for a reason. So you're just informing them rather than selling to them in that way. Yeah. You know, I think we we all have to give people the way to opt out always. And, you know, that can be automated as well. That whole thought process of, oh, if you don't want to hear this, just get off of this part and just stay on that part, right? That segment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying not to email in real time. If you're like, wait, Cheryl, I really like sending my weekly emails. You still should. Because the only thing better than one email is two. And the only thing better than two with the week is three. So keep writing your emails in real time. But then you have a whole lot less pressure. You don't have to think about the sales journey as much. You can say, listen, I'm on this podcast. Come listen. I'm in the summit this week. You should come check it out. This is what happened at the grocery store. And it reminded me of this business lesson or whatever you want to talk about. It makes it more fun because you don't have to overthink it or try to cram some sales message in because you haven't sold to them in a while. Or It just takes out all of those decisions and all of the pressure. Yeah. I mean, for me, I do a weekly podcast. So I am creating weekly content, even if it's a week before I'm creating it. I want it to be thoughtful and about the topic, but I even can stand. I mean, I don't send more than one. Every once in a while, I send if there's something else going on or things like that. But it's such a good point in terms of figuring out what the journey is and deciding Mm -hmm. what you need them to know when. I mean, that's really all we do with sales on a whole, you know, Mm -hmm. is figuring out what they need to know when along the customer journey, where they're at in the journey and what they need to know. 
And sometimes it's hard to remember to keep it subscriber and buyer focused rather than us. Like it's easy to sell what we want to sell or whatever, but you have to really also remember those, especially the new people coming on your list. Mm-hmm. They don't know yet, right? They need to be introduced to a lot of it before they're ready for that level of conversation. So, I mean, a welcome sequence is your first step. Obviously, everyone needs a welcome sequence. If you don't have one, that's your first homework going into this quarter. Work on a welcome sequence. But it's like we have to lead the journey and we can be the leader, right? Like take their hand and show them what they need to know because they're coming to us most of the time to solve a problem and they don't know what they don't know about the problem. A lot of the times they think they have one problem, but they actually have this problem (laughs) causing that problem. So you need to take them on that discovery of shifting their beliefs. And then once you do that, you'll find it's much easier to offer your solution because now it's just a conversation. It's not a pitch anymore. So it makes it a lot less pressure. And let me ask you, what's your recommendation if someone's in a welcome sequence? Are they also getting your weekly email? Maybe they get two on the same day, right? Like. What is your stance on that? Well, I'm pro more email is better, especially for sales. So two emails on one day doesn't bother me. I would say that my advice on that completely depends on the business. I don't believe in cookie cutter recommendations. That's one thing I'm not into like quick fixes and like, this is the way. And if everybody implements this, you'll make a million dollars. I don't buy into any of that. I know you don't either. Long game strategy. So, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So It would depend on the business asking me what your offers are, what the journey is, where are they coming from? Are these, do they know you at all? Are they coming from a Facebook ad or did they do a three-day challenge where they saw my video for three days already? Different answer. I would say normally, I would say no. I would say welcome sequence could have daily emails and then they would be on your email list afterwards for most people. The exception might be podcasts though, because there's... They might want to listen and they could be caught. If you're attracting podcast listeners, they want to listen to your podcast. (laughs) Let them, you know? So that might be an exception if you're a content creator in that way. But for most people, I would say in the welcome sequence, don't bombard them with other stuff because they don't have the reference for it yet or the frame of mind for it yet. They have to be introduced to you. And I like a welcome sequence to be daily anyways, because you're building name recognition in the Mm -hmm. inbox. So whether they open every single one for the first week, they're seeing your name and now they are remembering who you are. If they opt into your list and you email them like their lead magnet or whatever they grabbed from you and then you don't email them till a week later, they already forgot because they're new to you. They don't know you. So daily for the first, I, I do at least a week, but some people do even three or four days is fine because name recognition. Reason number two is deliverability. You knew I was going to tie it into that, right? Yeah, yeah I was going to say. <laughs> the so. more opportunities you can give people to open and click your emails in the first month, the better. The first 30 days is critical for that, for engagement. And if you only email them once a week, they only have four chances to engage with you. And if you email them every day for a week, they have seven plus you can keep emailing them the rest of the month. So frequency is important at the very beginning for sure. Wow. And it's just fascinating because it makes so much sense. But it's mm-hmm. things that we talk ourselves out of or hear about things yeah. and you know think, oh, I don't want to give them two on one day because of X, Y, and Z, when really it's okay if that's how it works for your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's how I really approach things is the everything is so business specific. It's gotta be yeah. how you need it for your business. And so it, it if it makes sense, then yes. And it's also how you feel as a as the person sending out the content, 
Mm-hmm. Some people know their audience. My audience does not want 10 emails, you know, one each day. And so I always respect that when we're creating. I say, what's your limit? What's your level? I do a few, like in a welcome sequence, I'll say like, here's four, one, two, three, four. So they get it. And then let's space them out a little bit if you don't want to keep doing every day or that type of thing. Because people know their audience best as well. Yeah. They do. And everyone, it is testing, right? You can't have blanket strategies because the truth is everything works and nothing works. (laughs) (laughs) But also you have to remember to build a business that you want to have too. I find a lot of people are like, well, the trend right now is to do a sales call funnel. I'm like, but your value is time freedom. Like, why do you want to do sales calls? Maybe that's not a good, yeah, it works. Sure. But do you want to do that? Is that the result, if it's successful, is that going to make you happy with your day-to-day life? Maybe not, right? So I think every strategy needs to be evaluated with the business owner and the buyer, like their ideal buyer in mind. So there is no real blanket strategy. The other thing I see with email though, that's funny when you're talking about emailing daily, people's feelings around that, people bring in their own experience with email to their decisions as a marketer about how they're going to email their list. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't read emails or I don't like two emails a day or I don't like that. That doesn't mean statistically, like data-wise, that's true, right? So sometimes we have to remove ourselves from our own feelings about email or our own experience, past experiences because that's not the truth for everybody. And you really have to be led by data for real, actual, actionable insight. Definitely. And I think also the type of business that you are. I mean, we've all been subjected to, hey, I want the 15% off. I put it in on some product website and then they email you, they inundate you with emails, but that's a product website, not necessarily a coaching website Mm -hmm. where you're having, you know, it's a different relationship. They're trying to just stay top of mind with their product before your need for that product goes away, right? Sometimes I think we translate that to our own businesses when it's a coaching relationship. It's very different than a product specific type business that's going to email you. Yeah. And if they don't want your emails, like if they're not vibing with you, then that's good. Like unsubscribe button is your friend. We tend to get real emotional about that as well because we work so hard to grow our list. Like it's understandable. However, I'm going to bring that back to deliverability again. It is so much better for us, for our people to unsubscribe if they're not feeling it, than to stick around and not open your emails. Unengaged subscribers on your list, I will drag you down. Where If they unsubscribe, they can come back. You can bless them on their way. It's okay. <laughs> like, let them go. And because if they're not wanting to be part of your conversation, like, it doesn't mean anything about you. Unless you're getting a mass unsubscribe, like, something concerning because you made a mistake in an email or you said something really controversial you might need to self-reflect on that. But normal and subscribe levels, it's not about you. It's maybe their business or their life has changed or they just, maybe their inbox is just too full and they're going to follow you on social. You don't know their story. And so it's, we tend to put on stories with that about us and feel like take it personally. And so my suggestion to you would be to flip the script on that. Think of it in a different way. And also just think about your deliverability. That helps you feel better about it. That it's actually better that they unsubscribe than not open. And let me ask you, when how does it work with phones? Like I was going through my own list one time and I said, oh, I'm going to do a clean out of people who haven't opened in a while. And one woman I know, 
I messaged her through Facebook to say, hey, are you reading my emails? Like, I want to know. And she had said that she's opening the emails, although it said she wasn't opening the emails because she's reading the the preview on the phone type of thing. Um. Like, and I was like, oh, because I was like, I just want to know what is going on. And I know her personally. Right. So I was able to reach out to her type of thing. So is there any difference in Apple sending over the, this open rate versus them opening on their computer type of thing? Oh yeah. Just to make it interesting. It's not accurate at all. <laughs> I've learned that. Just to like, make it interesting on us. From my life, woman. <laughs> no, I know you though. <laughs> we can't like mind hump it too much though, because it'll drive us crazy. You know, we have to just make database decisions and chances are most people aren't doing that. So sometimes you will clean people off your list that we're reading. And, so, and the opposite is true as well, right? With Apple and their update a couple of years back, the open rates are actually inflated. They show more people opening than actually are because they preload in emails how they do open rates. There's a little pixel, like a little image pixel on every email. And when the pixel loads, then it fires as opened. So Apple preloads everything. So if you're checking emails on the phone, I think you can change it in the settings. You can opt into that or out of that. But if you're checking emails on your phone, even if you're not opening them, it's sending back a report that they've been opened because Apple is pre-opening them for you. Right, right. But preview is opposite. Right. (laughs) So how the heck do business owners navigate that? I mean, open rates, we know they're not accurate. Generally, they trend higher. So if you have a 50% open rate, you probably have 35%. 40% open rate, depending on how many Apple users are on your list, which you don't need to stress about that. Trends. That's my answer. Watch for trends. Drastic trends reduction. in your email data. In your open list. In like your open opens list. aren't open exact, like that, the numbers right? aren't right. But if they drop, there's an issue because those pixels don't load in the spam folder. So if you're in the spam folder, they won't show as open. So if they're drop off, you know there's an issue. Right. So trends as well as like just managing clicks. We want to get as many clicks as we can because those are still accurate, <laughs> right? We like those. We, everybody wants to click. And then replies are amazing. Those are one of the best metrics for like Google and Yahoo and Microsoft. But unfortunately, they're difficult to track. Like your email provider is not really giving you numbers on that. But if you can encourage replies, do it because it's really good for your reputation. They see they're watching everything, right? Like email and now AI's on the scene. Their algorithms are crazy. They know exactly who's interacting with what in their inbox. So replies are great. You can't stress too much about open rates and you just have to make decisions about cleaning your list for the greater good of the whole list. Mm-hmm. You can't save one person. You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. She might've gotten cleaned off your list and that would be unfortunate But also by doing that, you've protected your reputation and upped your open rates. And then more people who you know are reading your emails will will get more of your emails. It's not awesome, but it's just what we're, the cookies were left, the cookies were dealt with. What was I trying to say there? Right, but this (laughs) is exactly why we need you. Because we need to have somebody who's doing this research and digging in for us on this level. Because, you know, I always felt like I've got to use some email for not only my business, but my client's business. I need to be able to manage some of that. They certainly don't want to. Mm -hmm. But to have somebody who wants to go all in on it, that's invaluable. So, you know, 
Hey, Thank I'm you. your nerd. Thank I love to nerd all out on all of this thing for being <laughs> the one taking it for the team on email. But it's yeah, important because you need to have someone who wants to go in depth and you certainly have and people should go follow you on social. We'll have links in the show notes to the deliverability on box and your automate and chill programs so that people can get caught up but then also do best practices along the way. So, yes. And I just want to say before we go that we nerded out here. We really did. We talked about some in depth stuff. And if you were like, this was word salad, Cheryl, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay, too. Some of this you need to know. Like, we need to know we need to get authenticated coming into February and things like that. But when we're talking about open rates and all of that, you just need to watch your trends. If you know you usually get between this and this of an open rate, just make sure that you're not seeing anything drastic. Like you don't need to go as deep as we went today. If you want to, we'd love to do it with you. <laughs> we can talk about it. But if you're confused and you're just like, whoa, that was a lot, that we see you. We, we know it's a lot. And just keep emailing. That is the key. Just keep trying. It's a body of work. Every email doesn't need to be perfect. And just send the email. It's email calm with you. I love it. it. It's a calm place because email on our own gets us all flustered and upset. Yeah. So <laughs> it's email calm here. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. We're going to direct everybody over to Cheryl's website, CherylVarick.com. You can look at the programs. There's also a direct link to the deliverability unboxed and we'll be able to all get ready for what's to come. So thanks so much for being here, Shaw. Thank you. This was fun. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks for joining me today. You can access more information, links mentioned in this episode, and the show notes at thelonggamepodcast.net. If today's show connected with you in some way, please share it with your friends or hop on and leave a review. Both of these make a really big difference. All right. Until next time. Keep playing the long game.